Um, all right, so I have, um, I have a go-to meal. And I found out in the last service, actually, there's another dad for whom this is his go-to meal. Anytime he's in charge of the meal, um, he makes this meal that's like one of my go-to meals because it's so simple and it is up to my ability level. And that is uh, grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup. Can I get an amen? I mean... I don't know if it gets any better than that. Probably that's not what I'm going to have tonight, however. Um, one of my sort of go-to celebration meals for uh, many years, and uh, we actually had last night, um, is a sort of bacon-wrapped flank steak. See, yeah. <laughs> I mean, praise the Lord for bacon. And uh, <clears throat> glad that we get to have some uh, together uh, a little later on this morning. Well, welcome. My name's Eric Hansen. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you get to be uh, with us uh, today. This has been a really full weekend for me already. Um, this happens every now and then. My birthday is June 16th, and so it happens every now and then where my birthday and Father's Day kind of happen in this weird back-to-back -back way, and the whole weekend's about me, and actually I'm not very good at that. Um, <clears throat> but we went out uh, for breakfast in a fun, funky place yesterday and had flank steak last night. Saw Incredibles 2. If you haven't seen it, you ought to go see it. It's pretty awesome. Uh, totally, thoroughly uh, enjoyable. It's, it's worth the 97 minutes or um, whatever it is. Um, here we are in this tiny little series um, we're calling The Table. And for the last several years, every summer, we go through something that we think of and consider as um, essential to the Christian faith and how we live it and understand it going forward. So um, over the summers where I've been here, we've done the Ten Commandments, we've done the Lord's Prayer, we've done the Apostles' Creed, um, we've done a, a short series on uh, baptism, and uh, right now we're going through a series um, that we're calling The Table. And really what we're seeking to do is understand what is this thing that the Lord calls us to celebrate, and we seek to celebrate on a regular basis. Churches across the world, they call it different things, and we've sought to use those as a way for us to understand the various ways we talk about the communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper moment. And uh, here we're using these four words to help us understand what it is we're doing here at this table. Last week, Jane uh, preached about communion, how when we come to this table, we are celebrating and expecting not just union with the Lord himself, but also union with one another. We come and celebrate and recognize and state our solidarity together with God's kingdom and with the Lord himself. Today we'll talk about the Eucharist. That's another way people talk about this meal. Next week we'll talk about uh, the Lord's Supper, which uh, Dave Palmer will be bringing uh, that word to us. That's in our tradition, that's the most common way that we talk about the table. To celebrate that whenever it is we come to this table, that it is the Lord who is host. We can discover that he is the one here, granting us the gifts of his grace and mercy. Nothing we do um, to gin those up ourselves. And then this fourth one, no one calls it this. No, no one calls it a foretaste. But every time I read the Gospels, 
and this other spot, especially in 1 Corinthians, where we're instructed how to celebrate communion, what we see also is this expectation that this is a, this is a, this is a foretaste of the feast to come. This is like a tiny little happy hour before Thanksgiving dinner, right? This is um, something we, we come together and celebrate. We long for everything that this represents, which God will do in his own time. It's a foretaste of a feast to come that we see promises of in Isaiah and in Revelation and even in the words of Christ himself, as we'll see here in just a minute. So why don't we pray, shall we? And uh, we'll uh, get started today. Let's, let's pray. Gracious, holy God, we come to this table, we come to this moment, confessing that we are eager to be filled with something that we know we can't accomplish on our own, and also confessing we don't understand it. It is both regular and normal and also mysterious and holy. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help me say something useful today. Pray that we would discover, rediscover your promises in a fresh way today. As the psalmist prays in Psalm 19, I also pray, may the, Lord's of, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, I've received over time sort of like some interesting questions along the way over time with students and people from this church and days gone by, and so there's going to be a little bit of theologizing along the way here and seeking to help us understand some bits of our practice. And one of those is, why do we call it a meal? Why do we call it a meal? Well, it might be helpful for us to step back and think about the context of the original meal itself. Jesus had um, been walking with his disciples for a number of years, and they were about to celebrate this, this uh, holiday called the Passover. And it's when the whole Israelite community would, would get together and, and have a meal, a very specific kind of meal, to, to celebrate that moment when the Lord in his wisdom freed the Israelites from slavery, helped them to cross over from slavery to freedom, from death to life. There's a whole set of um, sort of liturgies that have been built up over time, and by the time even Jesus uh, was walking the earth, already this had been a meal that had been celebrated for 800 years or more, a long time. And so they're sharing this meal. And it's probably good to think about what is actually being said in that moment. Because what we understand is, is the Eucharist, which I'll call it today, the, the Eucharist is, is meant to sort of overtake what those promises were. The Passover promises um, moving from slavery to freedom from a, from a despot, from an evil reign. But this communion Eucharist promises freedom from death to life, freedom from the tyranny of sin, 
to holiness and a whole and flourishing life. So Jesus is having a very large supper. Lots of food, lots of things going on. And, and even house churches to this day will sometimes do this. They'll, they'll gather together and they'll have a huge full meal. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, chips, coleslaw, steak, hamburgers, potluck with lots of casseroles, whatever it is. And at some moment in the middle of this much larger meal of community being together, celebrating their union together, a a leader of the church, probably maybe a pastor or elder, will, will stop and say, now let's celebrate the feast that the Lord gave us. And so in the middle of all of that, whatever else is on the table, they'll do this. And so it was with that first Passover. There was already a huge meal set. There was already food had been eaten. All those things had already happened. And Jesus said, now let's pause from all those promises so I can give you a greater one. And now, two millennia later, 2,000 years later, well, fried chicken for all of you would be a lot. We just can't do it. And so what churches have done over time has decided to just take that one small piece out of the larger meal. It's taking all of it, putting it all in context, but remember that this is the moment that Jesus pulled out in a specific way. And he wanted to give us a specific set of, of promises, and one of those we'll talk about today as the Eucharist. We're going to read this passage from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And I want you to sort of think about all that context and the promises that you see in what Jesus is doing here. And we'll then talk about them a little bit more. Here it is, Mark, chapter 14, starting at verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Foretaste. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the mount of olives. Hundreds of millions of Christians across the globe call this feast the Eucharist. And the, the word the Eucharist is lifted straight out of the Greek, um, and it means sort of good grace, or has come to mean gratitude, or thanksgiving, or, or blessing. I don't usually use Greek words here in my preaching. Every now and then I do. I really like it when preachers do that. Maybe you do too. It's kind of like if you're a word nerd or you're a bit of a geek or you sort of like you just love that kind of thing. And the reason why I don't do it, even though I really love it personally, is because I am so eager for us as a community to be anchored to God's Word. I don't ever want to give off the vibe, you can't read the Bible for yourselves. You don't need a Greek concordance You don't need vocabulary words. You don't need a Greek grammar to be able to understand God's Word. And over time, I I think the more we sort of up here talk about the original language, the more we teach you you can't approach God's Word on your own. And I want you 
to be looking in and through God's word on a daily basis on your own. So I don't use that very often, but today it's called the Eucharist. We've we got to do it today. And people who've called this moment the Eucharist, what they're, what they're keying on are really two things. Every time that we see this meal talked about in the early church and in the scriptures, Jesus is seeing, offering a blessing. He's, he's giving thanks. It's a, it's a meal of thanksgiving. It was the second thing in this pattern. I'll show you this pattern in a second. But the other reason why we've come to call it the Eucharist is not only because of what it is that Jesus does, but what it is supposed to evoke from us. When we think about the sort of how this story sort of gets told in this very tangible, kind of plain bread and juice moment, it invites us to have a, a new and refreshed heart of gratitude. Not sort of glum obedience, not sort of this sense of sort of this, just this obligation or guilt into doing it. But as we reconsider and retell this story, we're called to gratitude, to wonder, to recognizing the, um, the beauty of what we're being told here, to lift our hearts in thankfulness and in readiness. You've heard me say before that um, the gospel, the story of Jesus, is, is not good advice. It's good news. It's not a thing to sort of um, wonder about how you do it. It's something to embrace. And the table, whenever we come to the table, it retells the pattern of that story in and, and maybe ways you haven't seen. And I just want to show you these four simple words today. Here they are. This is the pattern over and over and over again. Jesus, he, he took bread, just simple elemental bread, and he, and he blessed it, offered thanks for it, and then he broke it. And then he gave it away for the benefit of others. I wonder if you've ever noticed and thought about how those four acts are actually a retelling of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. See, Jesus took on human form. He took on the body, the flesh, the sinews, the blood, the mind, all of it. He, he took on human form, and then he, he lived a blessed life. He lived a life full of gratitude and holiness and obedience. And he allowed that life to be broken broken on the cross. And then he allowed the gift of his resurrection to be distributed and disseminated that we may have life. When we come to this table, we are reliving, we are retelling in a, in a simple and tangible way that story over and over and over again. This, this is the story of Jesus Christ. And when we come to this table, one of the things we're saying is, is, is we actually want Jesus Christ to do that to us. Lord, will you take us? Will you bless us? Will you reshape and break us and then give us 
away to the world? Will you set a pattern in our hearts that looks like the pattern you first lived in front of us? That's what's being said here at this simple, small, little, tiny meal. Took, blessed, broken, gave. We're called to live then a a life of gratitude. But you know, every time that I share this, sidebar for a moment, I I wonder how it's heard by some of us who are um, quite young or quite young in the faith. What are we saying when we're saying we are eating his flesh and blood? Are we cannibals? You know, that was the accusation in the first century. As people came, uh, became believers, even if you were a believer, but you had not yet been fully what they called catechized or brought up in the faith, you were dismissed before, you shared the t- before they shared the table. And so you can imagine the whisperings. What's happening behind those closed doors? Are, are they really eating God's body and blood For understandable theological and philosophical reasons, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters still believe, they, they believe that when they, when they take in the Eucharist, when they participate in the Mass, that bo- the bread and juice are, are the substance of them becomes the body and the blood. Is that, is that what we think? The Reformers had to go through these questions in the 15th and 16th and 17th centuries. And what they've come to understand and what we proclaim simply is this. This meal is a, it's a spiritual meal. It's seeking to represent a spiritual reality in, in, in really tangible forms. So the tangible forms are the bread and the wine, this, these simple things that get made. But the spiritual reality is, it is, a, it is an offering of a retelling of what Jesus Christ has done. In a tangible way, we, we decide to eat those. But in a spiritual way, we, what we're saying is, is we want to take them in. And if we're going to use the metaphor of bread and wine for Jesus, then we have to find a way to, to take that in. You can't do bread and juice through IV. You can't do it sort of like just opening up your brain and dumping it in there. You take it in symbolically in this way where you ingest it. It's a spiritual eating, saying, these promises are promises that I want to have true and be true for me. Jesus Christ is offering his grace to me, and I want to receive it. These simple things offer a spiritual reality, and I I want to be a spiritual person. The fact that Jesus took, blessed, gave, or broke and gave, I, I, I want that pattern to be true for me. So when I I come, I ingest, I receive, I take in. And as human, fleshy people, the way we do that is we, we eat. We eat. So then are we, to change to another question, are, are, we, are we then 
Like, is this, is this salvation? Are we saved here? This is what St. Augustine said about this in the 4th century. Why do you provide for your teeth and your stomach? Believe, and you have eaten. And what he's saying is, is there was this fight about what about those people who died before they could take communion, even if they knew Christ? And what he says is, is we take in Christ when we say we trust him. We take in Christ spiritually when we say that we have faith in him. Believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have taken it in. But this meal we're commanded to take that we might see one another take it in. We're commanded to come to this meal that we might actually enact with our bodies and our taste buds. It's a, it's a, um, it's a fully like five cents moment to represent and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. And when we come, we get to experience that grace tangibly. Before we come to the table, I have a, um, a bit of, of a confession to share with you. This last year for me, spiritually, has been really hard. I f- feel pretty tapped out. And for reasons I'm not exactly sure about, there are times when I've um, I felt pretty beaten up not because of any circumstances, not because of anything anyone's done or said. And in fact, in a certain way, if you, if you look at my life, you'd be like, wow, things, things seem to be going pretty okay. I have four children that are a delight 98.7% of the time. <laughs> I have a bride who's nothing but blessing to me. I have a, a, a chance to pastor and, and, and serve a church of which 99.99% of the people on the planet would, would just like keel over and die to serve you as your pastor. Do you know what a remarkable place this is? God has been so lavish in his blessing with his spirit on this place, and you're part of it. But I'm just not feeling it. Have you been in that place? Have you been there? Throughout this year, um, you might not know this, but at the 8 o'clock service during the school year, we serve communion every week. We serve the Eucharist, Lord's Table, communion, foretaste every week. And it has been a sustaining current for me. 
say, I don't know how to experience, I don't know how to understand or talk about even kind of what's happening with me spiritually right now. Maybe you don't either. possible you're here at a habit or like me at a yearning there have been so many weeks when i've been up here and i've needed the sermon worse than all you i've needed it and what's been so sustaining about this simply is this thing whether i get it or not whether i understand it or not whether I can muster up the feeling for it or not, the promise still stands that Jesus took himself, lived a blessed life, broke himself for us, and now gives himself for us. This promise, this, this act, this drama is true for me even if I'm not feeling it. It's a way for me to say to myself and to my God and to my family, even if I'm not being the person I want to be in Christ, still I'm welcome to the table. Still his offering is for me. Earlier this uh, week, I read about a, a church. Wish I could find the website again. Um, that has a couple people who are deaf in their congregation, and so they um, have taken to um, doing the words of institution in silence. So as we come to this table and we get to experience this, prob- this promise, even if we're not personally feeling it, I'll sort of let you sort of live this drama in silence as we celebrate that Jesus took life, blessed it, then had it broken for us and gave it to us. And then I'll say the words right after that, but I encourage you just to participate in silence. And when we're done here, um, the ushers will start calling us forwards to uh, participate in the Eucharist together.
on the night which he was betrayed, Jesus was having supper with his disciples. And there were people like me, with struggles like me, and with struggles like yours. In the middle of that meal, he uh, took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat it, remember me. And then he took the cup and he poured it out. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink it, and remember me. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that whatever it is we take this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his saving life as a foretaste until he comes again to put it all to rights. This is God's gift to us as God's people, whether we feel it or not. Lord, we thank you for these simple and elemental gifts. This tiny little foretaste of promise this simple, tangible way to tell the story of the gospel. Lord, I pray that it would be a sustaining hope for the men and women and children who are in this room. As they ingest these simple pieces of bread and juice, would they find their hearts taking you in with fresh hope and with fresh perspective. Bless them, we pray, in Christ's name. And all God's people said,